Just because it's December doesn't mean Olivia gets to do whatever she wants with Christmas at any time. No, no, it kind of does. It doesn't, literally does. No. That's that's like the rule. I wouldn't say any time, but like it will potentially happen more often. Welcome to the Jackson Cloud. I'm neutral about Christmas. I technically hate Christmas, but I'm wearing a Christmas shirt. I am the Christmas queen. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't say I'm neutral. I just, I'm not you and I'm not you. So I, <laughs> I'm no extremes, I guess is what I'm saying. But I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we are moving through Revelation. And after a handful of episodes, we are making our way into verse, not chapter, <laughs> two. Three. No, we're, we're past two. We're past two. 3.5. Uh, we, we are going to go into um, chapter one, verse six. Where's the six? Okay. Backing up even a little bit. Uh, so 5.7. 15B to six is where we are. So, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to God and to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's a pretty intense sentence right there, especially if you're like still getting a grasp of the Trinity, right? Because like those are a lot of things that you feel like you might be saying about God, and here John is attributing it right to Jesus, that Jesus is the one who has glory and dominion forever and ever. So... Again, Revelation, as we're going to see a million times throughout it, this is especially where you see heavy emphasis on the Trinity. You see it throughout the New Testament, but John John just goes there without any concern. Yeah. I'm Your confused. Face is already looking everywhere. Yeah. I know. Six, you know, partway into six, mm. the, the grammar and phrasing makes very weird sense to me. In what way? Because it's like, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood... And has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Like, I understand up until has made us a kingdom, hmm. priests to his God and Father? Yeah. I didn't know priest was a verb. Well, <laughs> it could be a noun. Like, humans to his God and Father. A human wouldn't be like a verb there. Right, but it's just like... But... I think you're reading. Like I think you're reading the sentence wrong. How would it? How is it supposed to be read? So this is kind of like a list of things we're being made. We're being made a kingdom, and we're being made priests. So made us a kingdom, and made us priests mm. is kind of how you should be reading that. I think. So you can see there, it's not supposed to be a verb. It's. Yeah, you could put of priests. Made us a kingdom of priests, if that helps. That helps a lot. Made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. But, you know, since you're making such a big deal out of grammar, I wasn't going to go here, but there's two little grammatical things I want to point out. I know, it's what everybody loves to study. I feel like this is kind of cool. Uh, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, some later manuscripts of Revelation say... To him who loved us and has freed us. Oh, loves is present, but has is past tense? Yeah. 
Because, you know, people who like to write, and oh, you did a past tense. With a present tense. You did a present, loves us, and a past tense, freed us. So you can see some scribes like, loved and freed us. And I just want to make a point like, no, he presently loves us. And in the past, he has freed us. It's actually a grammatically cool thing to reflect on. In your face, scribes who changed it. Okay, there's, there's one grammatical thing. <laughs> your other grammatical thing, though... Um, to him be glory and dominion forever. Uh, you do have uh, uh, some translations in English do an intentional to him then be glory and dominion forever. They add in a then to help everyone understand we're talking about Jesus. Because again, there's this like confusion between is this God or Jesus? The answer is Yes. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now, on out of our grammatical things and into uh, uh, talking about a kingdom of priests. And um, this is actually a pretty big topic in the Bible when you get to like this priesthood stuff. What are priests to you guys in your mind? <laughs> For those listening on the podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. She pointed to Jamin. Olivia has pointed at me. Yes, I'm a pastor, sure. Uh, is that is that like the full understanding of meaning to priest to people today? Nope. Like, okay, so what? The collar. The collar. <laughs> Priests are a way you look. Got it, okay. <laughs> it's what? The, white, the white thing of the black collar, that's... That's totally it. That's a priest. Then, then what does a... Uh, okay, so clarifying <laughs> Catholic slash Orthodox, Orthodox, yep. Orthodox versus uh, Protestant. Um, but most people don't have a problem lumping pastors and priests as the same kind of category. I know, but I just... I have that distinction. Yeah, I get Because it. I grew up a part of the church during the church wars, so... Okay, all right. Well, um, what does a priest do then? Like, what's his job? What? I'm curious about the church wars. Oh, this would be like denominational fights, I imagine. Correct. Yeah. So it's when my denomination's the best. Yeah. No, my denomination's the best. Hasn't that just in... always been going on? Yes, yeah, but, but like our generation is much more like I don't care what denomination you are. Right. Most of us now are just like it's one body. We're good. Yeah. yeah. Like, whereas in if you look at those that are from my grandparents' age. Yeah, and even somewhat my parents' age, but not as more. much of them, mm. they were much more like, oh, they're Catholic. Let's get the pitchforks and burn them at the stake! Like, it wasn't that intense, but yeah, I, they, they, there was a lot more um, salmonosity, the word I'm looking for. Yes. yes. And towards each other, yeah. Whereas today, I feel like a lot of people more our generation and under understand this. No, we're all a kingdom of priests. You know, we're all in the same body doing the same thing here. Um, denominations, in other words, are more of like, a, yeah, these are ways in which people tend to think within Christian um, uh, belief. Or um, these are uh, things that, revivals that happened in the past that gave birth to like a particular form of practicing the kingdom if you will well and even there might be some disagreements but like most people today are like meh it's not a big one we're cool like, yeah i mean there's there's disagreements that like okay that's heresy and turns you into a cult but then right. there's disagreements where like you know either way <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make you not a christian type thing. so yeah i've i've labeled it the church wars because that's just how i remember it as like 
And we've now talked so long about it, I have to change the title of this video. So, <laughs> Kingdom of Priests. Uh, what do priests do? Like, what's what's different between them and some other job? Well, priests are spiritual leaders. They're usually the ones in charge and taking care of the church. Um, They're forced they to eat the sacraments after communion. Mm-hmm. Is that just a thing all denominations do? Uh, no, that's especially a transubstantiation form of... Okay, so you don't do that? Uh, No, Um, but I understand the respect as to why some do. Um, So, yeah, so there's... uh, You've given some ideas as to what priests do, but let's pause here and realize in Revelation, who are the priests here? Everyone. Yeah, all Christians, right? Mm -hmm. We've all been... We're loved we're freed and we've been made a kingdom of priests and this is where i get a little edgy sometimes with the word priest or pastor is because we often think of those words in like only my pastor can cure confession and receive my repentance only a pastor can bring us into holy space only a pastor can uh, bring us into the presence of God or only a pastor can do A, B, C, D, E, you know, the list goes on. Um, but that, that is a reflection more on like an Old Testament style of thinking, whereas a New Testament style of thinking right here is that we have all been made priests, everyone. It's not to say that pastors and priests don't do those kinds of jobs, like that is a part of what they do, but that's also not to say that no one else uh, can therefore do such things. So let, let's get a grander glimpse at uh, the priesthood because this is actually a huge deal in the Bible. Uh, and we'll, we'll put a link up at the end of this video so you can check out a series that the Bible Project did on, on priests because that's very helpful to understand the fuller story. Um, but with, with the priests in the Old Testament, basically a priest is someone who was allowed to go into sacred space. Not everyone was allowed to do that. So in the Old Testament, you remember the tabernacle that was made? Yep. And then in, there's different parts of like sacred space within it that only the Levites were put in charge to take care of. Which I learned a lot from your blog post that gets you the most views on your blog because of that. What? <laughs> remember that one blog post that kept like blowing up? Oh, because I borrowed a picture from somewhere and everybody wanted the picture and then... I accidentally was getting the views. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. That one. Delete that because I felt like this was. I didn't mean to like steal someone's picture. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you keep moving through sacred space until you get to the holy of holies. And this is the place where like even if you're a Levite who's been invited into sacred space, like you should be scared to go in there. You only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, and you hope you don't die, yep. <laughs> or that you're you've got any sin that you haven't repented for because this is like super secret sacred holy space right so for me the funny like imagery that comes to mind is of course Raiders of the Lost Ark because the Ark of the Covenant was there and so like I always imagine that there's always a chance that your face could melt off if you enter the Holy of Holy without the proper permission and or the one day of the year yeah and that's an interesting spin on uh uh (laughs) The Ark of the Covenant, which I, what I like about Indiana Jones is they understand like the this thing's intense. You know, yeah. people have died throughout the Bible, getting near this thing, 
there's a story where David was having the ark moved and like the crate that it was being carried on moved just a little bit, hit a bump and the guy driving the crate like died. <laughs> it's like, okay, this thing's, you know, like these are some pretty intense stories. Um, but they're, the angels first off are sitting on top of it those statues of the cherubim on top of it mm -hmm. and their wings are supposed to be covering God who's sitting in between the cherubim right so in the mercy seat on the mercy seat yeah so this idea that like angels are inside of it like actually it was what it was the ten commandments and I think the rod of Aaron or something like that so um, but at the same time they understood the sacredness of this object like God is present here and he is holy and we are not always holy so this is crazy space to be in now you would think the priests would be like super holy people then right they're not <laughs> they are they are so far from it the bible the bible big build up no just, the levites are called out from like the very beginning of their origin story because who's who's their origin story do you guys remember Levi? <laughs> that would make sense, yes. <laughs> uh, but more specifically, like, Aaron, um, the first, like, priest among them. So, uh, if, if what it means to be a priest is that you have access to sacred space and you enter in to speak with God and things like that, then humanity at the very beginning of the Bible were priests, right? Because Adam and Eve lived in sacred space. Right. You're supposed to understand Eden was a temple. The garden was not just like, ah, wild grapes and all this. No, think of like a temple garden. Like it's uh, been taken care of and got your fencing and all these. Like it's a beautiful temple. Temple garden to me seems so weird. I feel like... Well, we usually think of Eden as like a, you know, it's like wild, roaming, free, whatever. But you should be thinking... Since temples and gardens were always places where the gods met throughout ancient literature, you should be thinking if Eden's a temple where God's presence dwells, then this garden is like a well manicured, taken care of. So it's like a London garden. Sure. I haven't been to a London garden. But well, just like, you know how, like, I was there, thinking the square shrubberies. Evil Queen from. Uh, oh, from uh, Alice uh, in Wonderland? Yes, yes. That's okay. how I think of, like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like this temple garden where they are. They live in the presence of God, and then they are removed from it. And now their priesthood more or less seems to become that, like, they have to approach the presence of God. I think you see that with Cain and Abel, right? It almost seems like they're. Well, let's go meet with God to give him our sacrifices as though maybe they're heading back towards the door of the Garden of Eden to give a sacrifice. So they're trying to meet God on his lawn? Well, not too close. <laughs> flaming sword will take you out. But Well, yeah. not, not his doorstep, but on his lawn. Like, like old man. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, you kids, get off my lawn. There are going to be sacrifices, eh? Well, so you we'll get this, see you. Well, but right there with Cain and Abel, you get this kind of priest-like human image of like, let's go make sacrifices to God. We're approaching holy space where God is. Here's our sacrifice. Um, so you see this still priestly, like thing going on. But then you fast forward, and one day the priest role gets split and and given to only one group of people. And if you remember the story between Moses and Aaron. 
It wasn't given to them in a very pleasant way. Like, well, it wasn't the original plan. Yeah, exactly. The priesthood was a concession. If Moses had done his job, he would have both. Yeah, he would have operated as a king of sorts. You know, he's reigning just like Adam and Eve are reigning. They're given dominion. But also, he would have been the one to approach sacred space and to uh, make all these sacrifices and all these things. Like, he would have been the one who meets with, with God. But Moses, even though we always like such a great guy, he did not want to do that. <laughs> and he kept telling God, no, I'm not going to do that. God's like, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Like, over and over again. So Moses like, I'm not going to do that. And God's finally like, okay, Aaron can do it, you know. Like, I'll, I'll give it to him. That was not God's plans, not what he wanted. But through that concession, now Aaron is the priest, and now all the Levites become the priests instead of Moses and perhaps all humanity just carrying that on. And that messes things up. Because what does Moses then end up basically doing throughout his life? He still goes into sacred space. He meets with God face to face. He goes up on the mountain. Who, who doesn't go up on the mountain when they're invited? Aaron. Aaron and all of Israel. Like they could have gone up to Mount Sinai, but they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. That's scary. <laughs> we can see all the thunder and lightning and smoke. God is clearly up there. You go ahead, Moses. We're going to die. We're going to stay down here. So then Aaron, after 40 days, it's like, so is Moses dead? Because we haven't seen him for 40 days. Aaron, make us make us a, a an idol. <laughs> and so Aaron does what? This is basically his first job as a priest. Makes, Makes an, an idol! idol. <laughs> yeah. You you could pause there. I don't I don't know necessarily that Aaron is trying to worship another god than Yahweh. I think Aaron is trying to force the worship of Yahweh into the way in which they've always worshipped gods, which is our gods always live inside of statues, so let me make a bowl for them really quick, and then we can put Yahweh inside of that, which God is not cool with. You know, like that's, no, that's that's not, that's literally I, one of the Ten Commandments that I'm telling Moses, if the rest of you are up here to hear it, you know, um, you don't make idols and you don't bow down to them. You don't worship the false gods and all that. So, yeah, it does seem kind of ironic that, you know, don't make idols was being instructed to Moses at the same time, they were making an idol yeah. at that exact moment. Yeah, so Aaron's already intentionally pictured as like, he done messed up, right? And then Aaron's kids die a few chapters later when they didn't, we don't really know what they did. Something with strange fire. Some practice within the sacred space that they were supposed to do, they did improperly and they died for it. And again, you see almost this like, the Levites don't care. Like, Aaron's line is not doing this well. And if you keep fast-forwarding, you see more stuff. By the time we get to Samuel, and God's been quiet for a while, says the word of the Lord was rare in those days, uh, Samuel ends up getting kind of adopted into the um, by one of the priests, and now Samuel just lives inside the Holy of Holies. <laughs> like he's sleeping in there one night where you're not supposed to go except for one time a year. He's sleeping in there and he hears God like speaking to him, which makes sense because God's like, what if God's just been sitting on the Ark of the... <laughs> Watching him? The Ark of the Covenant for a few years. He's like, hey, Samuel, who was that? <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't good at that time. I mean, 
Samuel's mother went to the priesthood, went to the tabernacle to pray. Mm -hmm. And does anybody know this story? Go away, you're drunk. Yes. Their first thought as to why she's crying in a church, you know, in a tabernacle in sacred space, uh, she must be drunk. That's all the people we ever get around here, a bunch of drunk people. Yeah, how many times had that have happened for them to have responded for that, that way? For that to be the first inclination, like, ain't nobody spiritual around here, you just must be drinking again, you know? And it seems, well, you have uh, the priest's sons, Eli's sons, are, you're supposed to, like, cut up these sacrifices and give the best parts to God. Mm -hmm. They just eat it. Like, yeah, this is for us, you know, like, they're supposed to live off a portion of it because that's how the priests were fed, mm -hmm. but they're not. They're just eating the best parts that are supposed to go to God as a sacrifice. And there, there's also an implication that they might be sleeping with uh, women right there in the tabernacle. Like, this is pretty messed up, you know? Like, this is like the sacred, sacred space of all of Israel, and here you have everybody just doing all kinds of, all kinds of, Debauchery. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so with all that being said, as you continue to watch the line, they just mess it up over and over and over and over again. And all that makes me think it's very likely that when God made the concession to Moses, sure, I'll give this to Aaron and the Levites, like, and you get your just desserts for that concession. You know, like, Moses, if you would have just done this, things like would have a lot better. But because you didn't, this is your uh, consequence. If you will, right? So, like, you think that that decision had a butterfly effect that caused all of the rest of that? Yeah, it's the kind of, like, instead of God, like, forcing Moses to do what he wanted him to do, he gave him the, the concession, but concessions often come with consequences, right? Like my kids. If, uh, if there's something they won't stop whining about, if you will, and I eventually give it to them, I also know that they're going to experience the weight of whatever reason I didn't give it to them, right? And hopefully that will help them understand. But for all the Bible, the Levites kind of end up being the, the ones until we get to the New Testament. Then a new priest shows up. Who's he? Jesus. Yeah. When in doubt, when in doubt, <laughs> Jesus, the Bible... Or C.S. Lewis, I think, is usually... The... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus, uh, um, Jesus comes in. And this must have... You wonder why the Pharisees were so mad? Pharisees are a part of, like, the line of priests, right? They're connected to, like, the Levitic line. They're the only ones who are supposed to be able to go into, like, sacred space and take care of, of all this. They have... This big old temple, the, the second temple of their time, that's been rebuilt in an incredible... It's so incredible that the disciples are looking at it from a distance and they're like, look at the rocks that they used to make that thing. Like, they're huge. How do they, how do they get that there? Think Stonehenge, you know? Like, you see those and you're just like, how do they do that? <laughs> that's apparently the same kind of effect that this new temple had, had on uh, the disciples. How, how do they do that? It's so huge. But then Jesus comes around, and he's from what line? David. Yeah. He's, he's from the line of Judah, because that's the line that the king's going to come from. So you have Adam and Eve, who are kings and priests. That gets divided at Moses. 
And then you have Jesus come around. He's a prophesied Messiah who is going to be a king, but he's acting like a priest. And that's got to be messing with their heads, right? Like, how does that work out? <laughs> the way it was supposed to. The way it was supposed to, but like, is he breaking God's law in order to become what he no, is? No, he's breaking God's concession in order to do what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, as it ends up, it's not even God's concession entirely um, because God prophesied that uh, yes, the Messiah would be from the line of David, but for the royalty, but from a priest side of things, you might remember this from Sunday, it comes from a line of remember his name? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now, we did a whole episode on Melchizedek. Yeah. In the Old Testament, there's this strange person we get a small glimpse of named Melchizedek, right? Abraham is just, we just did this in our Genesis series. Abraham has uh, conquered um, Sodom and Gomorrah for taking Lot. And then on his way back from war, he runs into Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Which Salem is short for Jerusalem, right? So the king, a king named Melchizedek who worships Yahweh, which we thought Abraham might be the only one. A king named Melchizedek who worships Yahweh and is from, he's king of Jerusalem, <laughs> comes about and becomes a, a priest who is a king. Like, uh, he's a king, but like, Abraham also makes a sacrifice to God through Melchizedek as Melchizedek acting as a priest. So this guy's a king priest. We don't know anything about him except that he's a weird king priest who worships God. That's like, who is this guy? <laughs> where, does he, where does he come from? And then he's gone. That's the end of it. Except in Psalm 110, God says when the Messiah comes, he will be of the line of Melchizedek. So there's this understanding that like, even though, in fact, we're going to read it. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Did I spell Psalm right? Good. Uh, the Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So whoever this royal Messiah is, he's not just a king, but he's a priest. He's a king, comes from the line of Judah, but he's a priest, comes from the line of Melchizedek. The last king priest in the bible who had both those jobs together right and so you can imagine the pharisees and the sadducees and everybody just being super ticked that that jesus is out here doing their job they're the priests why is jesus forgiving people he doesn't get to forgive people that's a priestly thing like we do that on behalf of god and all this stuff why, why is jesus doing all these priestly things well he's of the line of melchizedek so he gets to continue on in, in, in the priestly duties as well. You have a thought? No, just a really bad joke. Is it blasphemous? No. I still don't want you to give it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, it's the idea of what was separated by, by your powers combined. Is this a Captain Planet? Yes, it is a Captain why do you, Planet. Why, do you, why is it always Captain Planet with you? Because what else has a, by your powers combined besides mm -hmm. like, Megazord. That's the only thing I could make a Power Rangers reference, but that would rope giant robots fighting in the sky. 
Isn't this cool? Yes, yours was much more sensical. Thank you. <laughs> Powers of nature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyways, Jesus then does what to us? Makes us brothers and sisters of him. And we then become a royal priesthood, right? So now we have become an entire kingdom, royalty, of priests who can enter God's presence, who can do the things that priests do. Uh, so, yeah, there is a pastoral shepherd calling on people, but the idea that they have access to sacred space and no one else does, or they can do things that no one else can do, there may be some truth to that since there's a particular gifting upon a pastor, but not in the sense that we practice it. Like the rate at which, I'll speak for most pastors, the rate at which pastors feel like they are supposed to be the church and everyone else is just supposed to go to church, like that that's how many feel. And that's, that's not what the New Testament is about. Pastors' jobs, the Bible says, are to equip the saints for ministry. We all do ministry together um, because we are all a kingdom of priests. Were you going to say something else? No, just about. What about you? No. Okay. Well, I'll throw us into one more thing. Uh, Hebrews six twenty into chapter 7. We have this as assurance, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, uh, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him appointed, portioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation, his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the son of god he continues a priest forever so this brings us back to revelation one where we were right jesus um, is not just a priest but he's also made us a priest but within that same line he's also freed us from our sins by his blood what was one of the jobs that priests did help do the sacrifices they did the sacrifices they would take the blood of of animals and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and this was a way of atoning for our sins and cleansing us. Now, Jesus is not just the ultimate king, not just the ultimate priest, but he is also the ultimate sacrifice that the priest would make, right? What priest is ever, I am the thing that's going to be slaughtered in order to bring about redemption? There he's isn't. the only one. He's the only one. And he's the only one where it would have mattered. If another priest did it, it wouldn't have like had any staying power, right? Because they too would have died. And that would have been the end of the story. Well, and fun thing I saw with uh, a movie special I saw last night was that they, God potentially could have, or potentially foreshadowed the sacrifice by having him like be born with the washcloths of lambs mm -hmm. like the swaddling clothes or like the swaddling yeah clothes that he was born with were actually normally designed for the firstborn lamb to be sacrificed to God oh, in really? the traditional way of happening and the chosen mm -hmm. they call attention and all that they call attention to all of that yeah I'm not aware of that but 
I know the chosen does their research when they're putting things together. So, yeah, I mean, you could go on to Jesus is literally put in a feeding trough, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Which is immediately drawing our attention towards this thing will die so that we might live and feast off of it, if you will, communion, right? But yeah, but yeah, so that was something that was just I had not drawn attention to before. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before, and so that was that was very interesting to see. Yeah. Well, you see all these things coming together to show like Jesus is not just the priest, but he's the sacrifice the priest makes as well. Mm-hmm. And that is very clear towards the cross. Like when you look at what the Gospels do with the cross, it's like, oh, hey, when is Jesus dying? It just so happens to be during uh, um, um, Passover, right? What do you do at Passover? There was always a sacrificial lamb that died and then you painted the blood on your door so that when, uh, when the spirit of the firstborn, yeah. So that when God passed over all of Egypt, those who had the sacrifice lived, and those who didn't died, right? Or the firstborn of every house died if they didn't have the sacrifice. So Jesus literally is is dying on a cross during Passover when all of this like sacrificial stuff is happening. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. Imagine him sitting at communion. Like we always think of communion just as like, ah, this one day they had bread and wine. No, that was a Passover meal. Imagine Jesus sitting at communion and they're all talking about how God saved the world through this sacrifice or saved saved all of Egypt, but also saved them through this like priestly sacrifice of sorts. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is sitting there at the table and there's this broken dead lamb that they're all eating together. That's what the first communion was. It was a, it was a Passover meal. Jesus, knowing my bones are about to be broke like that, my body's about to be ripped apart like that, I'm about to become the blood for everyone here. And then, what is Revelation? But the continued story of Passover, right? We are to go into the world and invite them to paint the blood of Jesus over the doors of their heart, so that when He comes back. And gets rid of all evil and all injustice and all who refuse to follow him. At that point, the blood will be painted over doors of our hearts and we live on and go on to everlasting life. So Jesus is the ultimate priest, but he's also the ultimate sacrifice. And he's especially the ultimate sacrifice because one, he was sinless. And two, he didn't stay dead, which means he now lives and still is a sacrifice, right? So it's not like, well, we got to make another one. Jesus dies. Like, no, the sacrifice is still alive. No, the priest who intercedes for us is still alive. No, the king who reigns over us is still alive. And now we too, Paul says, are to become living sacrifices. And we too also are to become a kingdom of priests. When Jesus dies, the, the temple curtains to the Holy of Holies is ripped open supernaturally. And the Holy Spirit has been unleashed, and we are now welcome into sacred space as Christians. So, sacred space, priesthood. <laughs> this is a very dense conversation. We could have probably done several episodes on it, um, but I thought today we'd just kind of dive in and get the whole picture like in our hands, you know. So, with that being said, check out a few other videos. We've talked about Melchizedek before and some other things. We'll put them up during the credits so you can click on those and check them out. But in the meantime, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe down below. Yep, pretty much. And uh, if you want to beat me to the first comment, 
Some have. Are you the next one? We'll see.